Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Scripture reading this morning uh, is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 31 through uh, verse 3 of chapter 13. I'm actually going to begin reading a little before that uh, in verse 27 just for the, uh, the sake of context. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 beginning at verse 27. If you're using one of the, the Blue Pew Bibles, uh, you will find these verses uh, beginning on page 959. So as you turn there, let me pray and ask God for his blessing upon our study here this morning. Father God, this is your word. And you have promised to bless it. You have promised that it will not return to you void. And so, Father, according to your great mercy, because of the great love with which you have loved us, we ask you to to honor and to keep this promise, to cause your word by your spirit to bear fruit in our lives here this morning. May we be transformed. May we be renewed. May we be cleansed, even as we sit under the reading and the preaching of your word. Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 27. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all prophets? Are all um, apostles? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That is the reading of God's Word. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I'm sure you've heard those words before. They were first spoken, as far as we know, by William Carey at the inaugural meeting of a missionary society that he founded in 1792, a a society that he founded for the expressed purpose of evangelizing the nations. A few years earlier, at a meeting of Baptist ministers, uh, Carey had stood to to make his case that, that the church ought to be doing something to take the gospel to the Nations. However, as he, as he made his case, he was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who, who said to him, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without you. But Carey was not dissuaded. Despite the opposition that he faced, despite the fact that, that the church was, was not at that time uh, excited about the missionary endeavor, he, he went on to make the case to the church. In fact, he, he wrote an essay called An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means 
to convert the heathen. If you've ever tried to read it, it's almost unreadable. But it, it stirred the church. And later that year, he organized this missionary society. And it was at that, that first meeting that he preached a sermon in which he called upon members of his church to expect great things from God and to attempt great things for the words would become the battle cry of the, the modern mission movement. We, we call Kerry the father of modern missions because his push, his desire to, to do great things, to, to take the gospel to the ends of the world was, was, was not only a compelling to him, but it was compelling to, to all those around him. And, and that missionary society, together with others that were raised up, has seen thousands upon thousands of missionaries go out to the ends of the earth. However, the power of the charge, that, that idea that we are to attempt great things for God, the power of that charge has not been limited to missionaries. Over the years, Carrie's words have, have motivated Christians from all walks of life, people in all kinds of endeavors. All people from all walks of life have been motivated to attempt great things for God, even as they expect great things. From God. In fact, I recently heard a, a pastor say, you ought to attempt to do something so great for God that it is doomed to failure unless God be in it. So why do charges like that motivate? Why does this call to, to attempt great things for God motivate? I believe such charges motivate, they, that they are influential in our lives because they resonate with something in the human heart. That they resonate with, with something in, in the way that God has made us. I, I think the vast majority of us here this morning, we, we have a desire to do something great with our lives. We, we want our lives to make a difference. We want our lives to have significance. We, we want them to be of real value. It's why books like David Platt's Radical or, or John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life or the Harris Brothers' Do Hard Things, it's, it's why those books become bestsellers. They become bestsellers not because people are actually going to do what the books say. They often don't. We, we often find ourselves unable or maybe just too lazy to actually live the lives that, that those books describe. But the description itself it captures our attention. It, it, it stirs our emotions. It, it, it causes something to rise up in us that says, I want that kind of life. I want to be that kind of person. I want to do something great for God. Some of you may know that after college, I, I considered the idea of, of becoming a professional golfer. I, I thought about it. In fact, I had a wife who was willing to support it, and so I, I, I went for it. I, I spent uh, several months pursuing that end, but... Now, let me be honest, that was never going to happen. I wasn't nearly good enough. I didn't have the skills to make it. But, but at the time, I didn't know that. And at the time, I didn't see that. And that's not what stopped me. It wasn't the unreality of the dream that said, hey, you better find something that's actually going to give you a paycheck. But rather, it was, it was standing on the third tee of Valleybrook Golf Course where I was practicing and saying, is this really what I want to do? Is this really what I want to give my, my life to? And there was something in me that, that stirred me to say, listen, I want my life to count, and I'm not sure this is it. I want to do something of, of value, and I, and I don't think this is what it is. I want, I want to do something great, and I'm not sure that's playing golf. I wanted my life 
to count. I, I am sure that, that many of you have, have felt that same pull. You, you felt that same desire at one point in your life or to one degree or another. You have said, I want to do something great. I want to do something that matters. I want to do something of significance. If you're in college right now, you, you may be feeling that intensely right now as you consider your, or what you're going to study or, or the job or career that you are going to pursue after, after school. As you, as you weigh your options, you say, I want to do something that, that matters. Many of you are here this morning and you are in the career you're in because you felt that pull. You said, I want to do something of significance. And some of you are actually considering career changes even now. Because you say, I want my life to matter. I want to do something great. And the first thing that I want you to see in these verses this morning is that Paul affirms that desire. Paul says that's a good desire. It is good to to want to do something great. In fact, more than that, he doesn't just affirm the desire. He doesn't just say that's okay. He, He actually mandates it. He commands it. He says, desire the higher gifts, which implies desire using those gifts to do higher things, to do great things. Now that may come as a bit of a surprise, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a, a moment. It, it may come as a surprise when we consider some of the things that Paul has already said in this text, but it's right there. Paul says it. He, he gives the Corinthians a command. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. However, at the very same time, almost in the very same breath, he says, but, our translation says, and, he says, desire the higher gifts, and let me show you a still more excellent way. So so desire the higher gifts, but there's something more excellent. There's something even better. Gifts are a great way to do something great with your life, but there's an even better way to make sure your life Counts, and that way is the way of Christian love. So here are the two points coming out of this text. Here are the two points that I, that I want to, to draw out of this text. First, I want us to see that while every believer, as we, as we said in the, the previous weeks, while every believer must be willing to do what God has given them to do in their particular situation, by they must be willing to use the gifts that they actually have and take advantage of the opportunities actually afforded to them. It is right and good to desire the higher gifts because it is right and good to want to do great things. That's first. But secondly, there is a still more excellent way than gifts. There's something even, even better than even the, the greatest gifts, and that is Christian love. And so these are our two points. Now let me just tell you now, we're not going to get to both of them this morning. And so uh, it says it in your outline. I think you've got both of them there in in your outline. And and that'll have to serve for two weeks because we're just not going to get to the second one this morning. But we want to focus on that first one. That, That first point there where Paul says, earnestly desire. The higher gifts. That is such an important statement. I want us to to dwell on that just this morning and and to think about what that means for us as followers of Christ. And the first thing that we have to see, the first thing we just have to sort of take in, is that this is a command. Paul is using an imperative. Now, 
If you want to get into the Greek and all that, it, it is a little bit debated. There are, there are some commentators who debate whether this is an imperative. That's because Greek is a frustrating language. And, and the same verbal form can, can, look the, can look the same as another verbal form. And you have to debate, okay, well, what is this? What exactly is this? Is, is Paul describing something that is true about the Corinthians? Or is he telling the Corinthians something that should be true about them. Now, there is debate there, and I am not the one to settle any debate about Greek. But if you go to the commentators, and if you go to the translators, what you see is the overwhelming majority of them understand this to be an imperative. The overwhelming majority of them translate this as a command, as something Paul is instructing them to do. Earnestly desire. Not, you do earnestly desire, but this is what you should do. You should earnestly desire the higher gifts. But even, even if you go with the minority report, and even if you say, well, this is just a description of what's going on in, in Corinth, you can't get past, past the fact that he's going to say it again in the first part of chapter 14. He's going to say, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And so, even if you get around this verse, it's, it's right there again at the beginning of chapter 14. It's, it's clear Paul is commanding. Paul is, is exhorting. He is, he is telling us to desire higher gifts. And the word that he uses for desire is a strong word. This, this, is, this is not a, a, a mild desire. This is a, a strong desire. In fact, the, the King James Version translates it as covet. They say, covet earnestly the best gifts. This is what Paul is, is commanding. He is, he is commanding us to strongly desire. And that in and of itself is significant. Because I think Christians sometimes, they, they have this idea that, that desire is what's wrong. It is, it's the desire for things. It's that, that strong uh, want to, to possess something that, that is in itself wrong. Desire is wrong and, and strong desire is worse. But we have to see that the Bible doesn't speak that way. The Bible does not condemn desire. In fact, the Bible is often commanding us to to desire things. Desire in and of itself is is not wrong. In fact, there's a a famous quote from C.S. Lewis, a a quote you've probably heard before, where where he says, "When when it comes to our desires, God probably does not find our desires too strong, but actually too weak. Listen to what he writes. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I first came across that quote in John Piper's Desiring God. It, it led me to, to read a book of essays called the, the Weight of Glory. And if you've never read it, it's, it's worth your, your time to just hear what, what Lewis has to say. But, but just hear what he's saying. He says, listen, the problem is not that our desires are too strong. The problem is not that we want too much. The problem is that we are just far too easily pleased. We are, we are satisfied with the trinkets of this world. To use the language of Hebrews 11, we are satisfied with the fleeting pleasures of sin. We are are satisfied, even when it's not sin, with with just the good things that this world has to offer as if they were ultimate things. 
And we are called on to to long for more. We are called on to desire more. I think that's one of the the most important lessons that I ever learned as a young Christian. That that self-denial in the Christian life was not an end in itself. It was not an ultimate thing. But that it was always a denial to something better. I love uh, those verses in in Luke chapter 9 and repeated in the other Gospels where Jesus says, listen, if you're going to come after me, you are going to have to lose your life. And so often we want to stop there. We want to say, okay, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the kind of person who makes a, a sacrifice. I'm going to be the kind of person who wears uncomfortable hair shirts and, and you know, lives by myself on the top of a pole out in the desert and things like that. And no. Listen, yes, we, we have to deny ourselves. Yes, we have to lose our life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to lose your life. Why? Because the one who loses it finds it. The one who loses his life saves it. He says, you have to give up this life, this thing that you're clinging to, because I have something so much better for you. The Christian life is is a call to, to something better. It's actually a call to the good life. Desire is good. St. Augustine makes a similar point when uh, he, he uses slightly different language. He, he says that, that what is wrong with us is that our passions and our, and our loves and our desires, that they are disordered. It's not that we have passions. That's not the problem. It's not that our passions are, are too strong. It's that our passions are, are disordered. It's that we love the wrong things. It's that we desire the wrong things. We, we desire things that lead to death rather than the things that lead to life. We desire the things of this world rather than the things of God. Our hearts are set on the treasures here rather than the treasures there. And so we have to, to see that there is nothing wrong with desire. There is, there is nothing wrong with, with having a desire for something good. We ought to desire. We ought to have strong desires. But we need to make sure that we are desiring the right things. And so what is it that Paul is commanding us to desire? What is it that Paul is commanding us to have a, a strong desire for? We see it right there in the text. He says, earnestly desire higher gifts. That's a phrase we have to be careful to understand. What are these higher gifts that that Paul is is talking about? Some translations say better gifts. What would be a better gift? What would be a higher gift? What would make one gift better than another? Well, if you've been studying along through the chapter, I think we, we, we have a pretty good idea of what Paul would regard as a higher gift, of what Paul would regard as a better gift. Think about what Paul has said about gifts to this point. He he has made it abundantly clear that that gifts are all given to exalt the glory of Christ, that to exalt his, His Lordship, and that they do that by serving the common good of His church. And so it stands to reason that the higher gifts are the gifts that that do most to the glory of God and the good of His people. The more we serve the the glory of Christ, the more we magnify the praise of His name, the more we we bring good to to His people and to His his kingdom, the more we call that gift a higher gift or a, a better gift. And so these better gifts, these higher gifts, are the gifts that allow us to do the most good and and to bring the most glory. These are the gifts that Paul is commanding us to desire. He says, desire the gifts that allow you to, to maximize the glory of God, that allow you to bring glory to your Savior, 
that allow you to show His wonder and His goodness and His beauty and desire the gifts that allow you to serve the good of His people. Those are the gifts that you ought to desire. When you start to think about that, if those are the gifts that Paul says we ought to desire, then there's a clear implication And the clear implication is that we ought to desire to actually use those gifts for those ends. That we actually ought to desire to maximize the glory we bring to our Savior. We actually ought to desire to maximize the good we do for His people. That's the the great things that that Carrie was talking about. One of my critiques, I I used that book, Do Hard Things, with my youth when I was a youth pastor back in in Asheville. And it's it's generally speaking a pretty good book. It's a a good book to take teenagers through. But at the end of the book, I had to kind of add my epilogue where I said, now listen, the hard thing, the hard thing that you are commanded to do above all else is to, to glorify God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the hard thing. You know, running, running a governor's campaign, that might be cool. You know, sailing around the world, that might be cool. Those are, those are hard things. But when we look at the Bible, the hard thing that we are commanded to do is to bring glory to God and good to our neighbor. That's the hard thing. And, and if you've ever tried to do it, it's, it's a hard thing. And this is clearly implied. If Paul is telling us, listen, desire the higher gifts then he is telling us to desire to use our lives for greater things, to use our lives to bring the most glory to God that we can and to bring the most good to our neighbor that we can. As Christians, we must not be content to do the minimum necessary. We must not be content with with what I call a a minimum ethic. If If you want to know what a minimum ethic is, watch your kids clean the kitchen. All right? Your kids clean the kitchen, at least mine do, and I did as a kid, so, you know, it's just, you know, what goes around comes around. But, you know, we we clean the kitchen with this minimum ethic. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, what's the least I can do to, to check off the chore to say I've done it? The end result of actually having a clean kitchen is not really on the radar, you know, the, the fact that mom's going to have to come in later and, and redo everything they did wrong is not really on the, the radar. Rather, it's just as long as I don't get in trouble, as long as I can say I, I did my, my job, that's, that's a minimum ethic. It's what's the least I can do to, to check off the box. And, and Paul's saying, listen, as a Christian, that ought not to be where you live. You ought not to exist with that kind of minimum ethic of, okay, well, what's the least I can do to the glory of God? You know, what, what's the least I can do for the good of my, my neighbor? I mean, we just tithe. Maybe that's it. Maybe we have to give 10% to, to the church and then the other 90% is for me. You know, maybe I, I give one day a week or at least one hour on one day a week and, and the rest of the time is for me. No. No, Paul said, listen, that, that's not the way we operate. We ought not to have a, a minimum ethic of what's the, the least we can do, but on the contrary, it ought to be our ambition to do the absolute most we can do to glorify God's name and, to, and the most we can absolute, absolutely do to, to bring good to His people and to our neighbors. Those are the great things that we ought to endeavor to do for God and in His service. But what exactly does that look like? What is this, this desire to maximize our, our gifts and to maximize our resources and to take advantage of every opportunity to, to serve the glory of God and the good of His people? What does that look like? 
And I thought about that this week. I, I thought first about us as a, as a whole, as a, as a congregation as a whole. And, and what does that mean for us to desire to do the most good? And I think one of the things that it means for us as a congregation is that we ought to desire to continue growing. Now, there are wrong motivations for wanting to continue to grow. There could be a very, you know, sort of self-centered motivation. Well, it's good for my ego. You know, or, or maybe it's, it's good for you because it means that, that you'll have more programs that will meet more needs that you want. Or, or maybe it's just the idea that we'll have nicer facilities and, and a bigger place and you won't feel crowded, whatever. There, there are all kinds of wrong motivations for us to want to continue to grow. But, but when we step back and think about our mission, and this is what we've been talking about in our Sunday school class, you know, why do we exist as a congregation of Christ Church? Well, we exist... We exist in order to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ, in order to equip them to to be uh, disciples in His kingdom, to to make and to equip mature disciples. That is our mission statement. If we are doing that, well, we will continue to grow. At least we will continue to see people coming to to faith. We we want to continue to to carry out the, the mission that we've been given by God. And it seems that using the resources at our disposal to, to carry out that mission will mean that we will continue to grow. But, but you understand there's costs associated with that. There are costs associated. There are reasons why people might not want to grow. You know, we, can, we can comfortably fit about 150 people in this room. We can maybe uncomfortably fit 160 or 170 people in this, in this room. And so a lot of people just like that size. And should we stop there? Those are questions that the leaderships are debating. Is, does good stewardship, does desire to maximize the glory of God and the good of His people mean that we continue to grow? And are we willing to accept the costs that are associated with that? Those are questions that we are, we are debating as, a, as your elders right now. Those are, those are the questions that we are debating as we think about what it means for us to desire to do great things. But what about you? What about you as individuals? What would it mean for you to desire to do great things? What would it mean for you as a, as a member of this church? What, is it, what does it mean for you to desire to use the, the gifts that are at your disposal to, to maximize the glory of, of Christ? Well, it, it means that, that you're going to want to do more than just show up. You're, you're going to want to do more than just come and, and be fed. You're going to want to do more than just not be a troublemaker. You know, there's, there's great value in that, actually. I, I have to tell you, you know, that, that I, I gather regularly with, with other pastors, and I, and I hear stories, and I, I hear the stories that they tell about the types of things that they have had to endure in their congregation. I will tell you, I give thanks for you. <laughs> we, we have been, I mean, I've been here for eight years, and we have been remarkably free of troublemakers and of, of grumbling and of complaining. And, and we've done plenty of things to complain about. I, you know, it's not because we're not making mistakes. It's because you guys are incredibly gracious, and that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that, is, that is wonderful, and I, I give thanks to that. But it's not enough just not to be a troublemaker. That's good. But, but we ought to actually desire to be doing good, to be coming alongside others, helping them, helping them grow. And I see these things happening. I want you to know that. I see this desire in you. I, I see you coming alongside neighbors and asking me, hey, what book can I use you know, to, to, to read through with my, with my neighbor? How can, I, how can I help them? Or, or how can I have this conversation? Or, or how can I be praying about this? And, and I get these questions, and it is such an encouragement to me. 
Because I see this desire at work, and I want you to hear Paul say, that desire is good, and we ought to fan that desire into full flame. We want to maximize the good that we can do. We want to maximize the way that we glorify God. We want to maximize the way that we we serve. And not only in here in the congregation, but even as we go out as the church scattered into the community. We we, we want to do good. We we want to to bring glory to our King by by serving the least and the lost. By by being agents of of justice and and mercy. And, And we've heard it even just this morning. The members of our congregation who are going to be going into uh, the Bledsoe County Prison as part of this Kairos ministry. Or, or the, the yesterday we had the New Hope Pregnancy Walk as, as members of this congregation raised money for, for, for the New Hope Pregnancy Center which seeks to come alongside those in our, in our community who, who uh, have pregnancies that they need help because of, of the circumstances that they are uh, in. We, we know people here who, who volunteer with, with Habitat or we, people who, who volunteer with uh, the Refuge or with other organizations in our community. I will tell you, it is not our ambition as a church to own any mercy ministries. But we want to be sending people into all the mercy ministries in town that are doing good work. And we ought to desire that. We ought to desire to to see that kind of work going on. It's, It's what Paul is commending. It's what he is actually commanding when he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire the gifts that will allow you to maximize what you are doing to the glory of God and the good of your neighbor. Because, because you are members of his church. But there's a question here. There's, there's, a, there's, there's actually a, a little twinge of surprise here. Because didn't Paul already say, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a foot or whether you're a hand or whether you're an eye or whether you're an ear. How can he say to desire the higher gifts when he already has said you ought to be content with the gift that you've been given? You know, how do we, how do we fit those pieces together? And, and I think... That, that Paul is a, is a classic example of, of the balance that he himself is calling for in our own lives. You know, Paul wanted to do great things. And one of the great things he wanted to do is he wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. And so he was constantly making plans to, to go to Rome, to get to Rome. And those plans were constantly being interrupted, were constantly being overturned. And, and he just wasn't able to get there. And in fact, he has to explain to the Romans. He says, listen, it's not that I'm making my plans with a double mind. It's not that I'm vacillating. It's not that, you know, I say I'm going to come and I never really meant to. I want to come. But the Holy Spirit has prevented me. And so what does Paul do in the meantime? If he has this great thing that he wants to do, he wants to preach the gospel in the capital city of the empire, what does he do in the meantime? Does he just sort of sit and wait? No, he he preaches the gospel where he is because that's his gift. And so wherever he happens to be, he he is proclaiming Christ. He is is proclaiming Christ with all wisdom and and coming alongside new believers and planting new churches and appointing new elders. And, And he does the work that is available to him in the place that he is. He does what he can do in the place that God has put him with the gifts and the resources that God has has placed at his disposal all the all the while desiring to do the greater thing. And I think that's a model for us. What is it that you desire to do? What is it that you would love to do for the glory of your king and for the good of his his people? Well, pray to that end and and begin making plans to do it. But in the meantime, do what he's given you to do today. 
recognizing that His plans are not always your plans. We, we sang it in, in Romans 11, did we not? You know, His ways are beyond our ways. We cannot fathom His, his wisdom. And sometimes we have plans that, that don't always fit with, with His better plan. And so we desire, we long to, to use what He's given us to, the maximize, to maximize His glory and to maximize the good of His people. But we do today what our hand finds to do. We do today what He gives us opportunity to do with the, the resources that He puts at our disposal. And so that is the challenge that Paul is setting before us in this verse. He's saying, listen, what is it that you want to do? Assuming that your priorities are in order, assuming that, that you, you long to, to maximize the glory of God, and assuming you want to do good to your neighbors, begin praying to that end. Desire for the, ask God for the gifts that you might do what He's given you to do, what you long to do. But in the meantime, do what He gives you to do. In the present, today, do what He makes it possible for you to do today. Because in view of God's mercies, that is what we are called to. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, we are to offer ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice. Not some part, but as a whole burnt offering. Our lives are His. Let us use those lives to the maximum glory of God, to the maximum good of His people. And if there's something you long to do, press on towards that goal. But today, do what He gives you to do. Because He can use even what seem to be to us insignificant works in ways that we can hardly begin to imagine. And because He can use us to maximize His glory and to bring about the good of His people, that is why we call this call good news. Do you believe that? Pray with me. Father God, we do rejoice in Your goodness that You would call people like us into Your service. And then that, that You would challenge us to, to want to do not just something, but great things for You, Father. Uh, that, that is a privilege beyond our comprehension. But Father, we pray, we do pray, that You would tune our hearts, that You would incline them towards You, that You would give us a desire and a hunger to see Your name glorified, and that You would give us a passion for the good of Your people and that you would then equip us for those goals and equip us for those ends, and that you would send us out with your power to do great things, even as we expect great things from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.